millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Previously on Debut. So I remember I got the email when I was sitting in the office at work and I had to kind of restrain myself from punching the air. It's hard just to launch a new character, and this is a very... He's an interesting character, tricky character, in, in many ways. Certain people will fall in love with him. Leo's L-shaped apartment, eked out of a Victorian attic in 1920, was comfortable, secluded, and filled with his beloved things. It was his den, his kingdom, his own private Dalmatia. Whenever he closed that front door and turned the latch, he was left in glorious solitude. His room sat alone on the top floor of the tenement, which straddled the crest of a hill, affording some of the best views of Glasgow's West End, upon which he could gaze down unobserved. Welcome to episode three of Debut, a podcast about a crime writer's journey from the bedroom to the bookshelf. So far, we've focused on Charlie McGarry, our author, and the obstacles he had to overcome to get his novel, The Ghost of Helen Addison, published, and it will be in July 2017. In this episode, we're going to go between the covers of Charlie's book a little more. Specifically, we're going to find out more about his lead character, a private detective called, well... We're already getting ahead of ourselves. Late on in the production of this podcast and very late on in the production of his novel, Charlie got back in touch with an urgent update. Here he is. Yeah, just to put in the picture, at the moment, beginning of February 2017, the typeset manuscript of The Ghost of Helen Addison is going to drop into my inbox any day now. Just to give you an idea of the chronology of it, that last week, we had an emergency, as late as it could have been, at which point you had to change a bit of the, the text. And it was major. I was considering the options for the book cover. We'd whittled it down to two, and it was I was fairly sure which one I was going to go for. It was the last night of comparing these two covers, and I have a number of um, other book covers on my hard drive, which I'd saved. Just things that gave me inspiration, um, and, and, and book covers are liked by different authors, some of which were by a guy called James Salas. I don't know if anyone knows James Salas, but he wrote uh, Drive, which was uh, made into a film starring Ryan Gosling a couple of years ago. And his book covers are really cool. They're, they're these kind of single-colour photographs with a kind of white band with the, the name the title on it. Just really simple, eye-catching images. And I was just kind of looking at them and holding them up against the images that Polygon had, had suggested for The Ghost of Helen Addison. And just idly, I don't even know why I did this, I just typed James Salas' name into Wikipedia and happened to notice that he has got a series of crime fiction called the Lou Griffin series starring occasional private investigator Lou Griffin, L-E-W. Now my guy, my hero is called Leo Griffin, L-E-O. So it was one letter out. I just couldn't believe it. 
it was, I wouldn't say a panic, but it was just a bit of a shock that there was another detective out there by a well-known author who had virtually the same name. Myself and the publisher spent the next day pinging emails to each other, trying to suggest uh, a new surname for Leo. We both agreed that we wanted to change it. Interestingly, having told this story to people, they've said, well, perhaps you had heard of the Leo Griffin series and just forgotten about it, and the Leo Griffin idea popped up out of your unconscious. But I don't actually think that is the case. Um, Originally, when I wrote The Ghost of Helen Addison, the detective was called Leo Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. But then a friend of mine said that he felt that the two names were too soft, they were both soft names, and you need, you're need you better having a soft name and a hard name, so like Sherlock Holmes was the example he used, so that was a hard name and then a soft name with consonant in the, uh, in the first name. So I kind of ratched around and found um, the name Griffin, which I quite liked, I think it's quite a kind of evocative name, quite a strong name, quite a memorable name. And so it was Leo Griffin, and it was that for ages. I made a few suggestions to uh, the publisher which they didn't like, um, Leo Devine. There was Leo Hennessy. I don't think I actually made that suggestion, but that was one of the ones. Other ideas I had were Leo St. John, Leo St. Clair, but they came back with a, a list of ideas. I have to say, all of them were pretty good. I actually liked them all, but some of them I felt were just a wee bit maybe obvious. I wanted it to be an Irish surname because Leo's, um, although he's Scottish, he's of Irish um, heritage, and I wanted it to be an Irish surname that occurs a lot in Scotland so that it's got that kind of kind of realisticness about it. And the last one on the list was Leo Moran, M-O-R-A-N. And I, I instantly liked it. I was kind of slightly in love with one of my other suggestions, which was Leo Carrigan. Um, but in the end, I went for Leo Moran and... We got it changed just in time. Got that? Leo Moran. You're going to hear mention of Leo Griffin in what follows and in future episodes, but it's Moran now. Leo Moran. Very important. It's not the only part of the story that shifted late in the day. I met up with Charlie in Glasgow, his hometown and the hometown of Leo Moran. Charlie gave us a tour of Leo's Glasgow. I also wanted to find out more about Leo and how his eccentricities reflect Charlie's. To begin with, I thought we were going to visit the area where Charlie supposed Leo might live, but it quickly got much more specific than that. Two things about recording conversations in the wild in Glasgow. Lot of wind, lot of traffic. So we're going to be be going to see where Leo Griffin might live. I wanted to start by asking you, how would you you introduce Leo? Hmm. I would say that he is a touch eccentric. That he's a um, cultured man. That he's a, got a great aesthetic sense in terms of his clothing, the way he tiles his uh, apartment. Um, he's a learned man. He's a cultured man. Um, he's also a bit of a pompous man. Uh, but that only goes so far. He's actually got a good heart treats people the same um, he's brave he's dutiful um, he's honourable the one way of summing him up is he's something of an anachronism uh, I'm not sure if he 
entirely belongs in the present day uh, and that's part of the tension hopefully in the in the books that is the way that Leo's worldview and habits and attire and manners there's some sort of clash between that and the way the world is So just describe where we are in Glasgow for those unfamiliar with the city I think this is I'm trying to remember the name of this road Is it Kelvin Drive? Kelvin Way? Something like that Anyway, it's a lovely walk along the river um, the river Kelvin that is and it's cold and very frosty unseasonably cold for November and the, the, the sun's low and the West End is just looking really resplendent in the sunshine in the late afternoon sunshine we've not got that much daylight left we're not too far from where I've decided that Leo lives and this is a decision I made not long ago, just a few weeks ago long after the book I'd signed a publishing deal for the book and indeed the editorial process has already started up until then I had only a vague idea that Leo came from what is called the West End which is a largely tenemented part of the west of Glasgow quite a genteel well-heeled part of the city um, but I, I didn't really want to pin him down like you know Holmes to uh, Baker Street I wanted maybe the readers to, to fill in where he actually lived with their own imaginations um, and I I did hunt and uh, and strive to find somewhere that um, would be kind of approximate of where Leo lived just for my own purposes really just to kind of know that the, the apartment I was describing was uh, realistic and authentic but as it happens just recently I came across a perfect pad for Leo just the perfect location in terms of where it was but also in terms of just the kind of uh, size and the look and feel of the apartment itself so I've actually decided to make this his home to give him a specific home to scrap the old idea of leaving it up to the reader's imagination but I still want to slightly fictionalise things slightly keep an air of mystery about it don't have him pinned down 100% so I've decided to call the road that he lives on by its former name which it was called up until um, well it was called this during the Edwardian period and then it, then it changed its current name its former name was Spring Gardens and that's all I'm going to say on the matter and if anyone wants to research what is now or what Spring Gardens is now then welcome to do so so we can see ahead gentlemen we can see a blonde sandstone building on the on the right and then next to it there's a tall red sandstone uh, tenement building and that is where Leo Griffin lives and specifically he lives on the, the attic level nearest where we are at the moment so if you look all the way up there there's a, what you call a, a billard uh, bay window there or a or aisle window that's where Leo Griffin lives Up there, Martin. Oh, yeah. <coughs> I've actually been in this tenement. 
Martin Gregg, who produces this podcast there, he always knows the guy and he's always been to the party. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Charlie had already written scenes in Leo's apartment by this stage, including one epic walkthrough that Alison, his editor, scythed down. It's one of the biggest cuts that she pushed for, and Charlie admits now that passage was a little self-indulgent. Says he was trying for an homage to a similar passage in The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. That's Charlie. The point is, he had a clear picture in his head of how the apartment looked. Then, as we just heard, he found the exact flat where he thought Leo would live. And then he got to look inside these rooms. One thing I wanted um, Leo's apartment to possess was that it sat at the top of its stairway by itself, which would be quite unusual for a tenement building. But because it's in the kind of attic level, um, I thought it was a possibility with this building when I first spotted it. And lo and behold, my cousin actually had friends that lived on that level when she was a child, so she could confirm that it had its own little landing. And I just like that idea of Leo's quite isolated existence, kind of high up, looking down on the world, looking down on the the glorious uh, West End, beautiful River Kelvin, beautiful bridge that spans it. Um, As for the interior of Leo's apartment, I was fortunate enough that there was a floor plan online because it had recently gone up for sale and even though it had been sold, the floor plan was still there and the one that I'd kind of imagined uh, coincided with it quite well. It, was, it wasn't it was actually that different. That must be like discovering a new tool almost, uh, you know, going when you're thinking about writing the second book and such and, you know, you, you find this place... And you discover the floor plan from um, what are like a real estate site. Yeah, it was it was almost like manna from heaven because you know it was quite exasperating knowing that the building was there but not knowing what it was looked like inside. And obviously, everything tenants have got security doors nowadays. You can't just walk up. You certainly can't walk into someone's house. So no, this was no, no that's right. You can't. It's lucky for everyone we live in the age of online estate agents. I have no doubt Charlie would have turned cat burglar to satisfy his curiosity about what lay inside that flat. It's probably what Leo would do too. Which brings us to an interesting question. How much of Charlie is in Leo? 
This might be a question you've considered for your favourite writer and his or her lead character. It's certainly something Charlie and I have talked about when we go fanboy over James Lee Burke and his main guy, Detective Dave Robichaud. Ask Charlie about where Leo came from and he recognises the bits of himself in there, but the first answer he gives is a little more surprising. In the summer of 2010, I'd uh, read the great book A Confederacy of Dunces, um, by John Kennedy Toole, and in which she describes uh, the character Ignatius G. Riley, kind of blackly comic character, uh, an incredibly pompous and supercilious, judgmental man, but just a really extremely funny and unusual uh, comic creation. And I think I have to, the fact that I'd just read that book a few months before. Uh, I have to give it some credit. I'm not saying that Leo is like Ignatius um, in many ways, but in, in some ways he is. In some ways he's uh, he has a, a slight air of pomposity. They're both Catholic men, and uh, they're both to some extent loners um, and outsiders. I think ideas about Leo, though, were, were older than that. I think... Uh, I discussed it with our friend Martin Gregg recently and we, we kind of concluded that there's a kind of species of Glasgow bachelor, kind of magnificent men who populate the city, who dress well and dine well and like good things, they like good music, they like their travels, they like good whiskey. So I think he kind of, he was spawned out of that to some extent. I think he was also, he came out of just to kind of uh, the, the world that my dad and my uncles were from and my aunts were from which was a kind of cultured working class world they didn't have much in terms of material possessions but they weren't going to be denied access to beautiful things the arts and uh, concerts and good music and everything else I think also there's a a little bit of myself in Leo probably more than I'd care to admit there's a, a little bit of an alter ego I used to have when I was younger I used to kind of ham it up just to annoy my younger brother and sister whereby I would pretend to be this kind of uh, erudite uh, uh, kind of devotee of the arts and, and listen to Beethoven and, and drink a glass of wine basically acting like a pompous ass just to kind of wind them up. So I think I brought that to life a little bit. On this tour of Glasgow, Charlie would start out by telling us about how each location featured in his novel and then he would switch gears completely and give a detailed little lecture about the history of the buildings we were looking at. It actually took a while to realise what was happening. And these are just brief highlights, but here's Charlie on the Mitchell Library. First, this is him talking about how the building features in the book. We're standing out to the Mitchell Library, which uh, Leo visits in The Ghost of Helen Addison. Um, this is where he researches... Um, the occult, because he's trying to make sense of some of the clues he came across 
uh, up at Loch Don, and he believes that the, the murder of Helen Allison is some way uh, linked to occult practices. And then here he is moments later, without any prompting from me, going off on the history of the library. The Mitchell Library is a magnificent building. It was opened in 1911. It had been designed by one William B. Whitty and was entirely funded by a guy called Stephen Mitchell, who was one of Glasgow's tobacco barons. To the rear of the building is a magnificent... Later, we went to a beautiful church in the centre of the city. Here's Charlie explaining how it relates to Leo, his detective, and why he chose it as a location for his novel. And this is because this portion of the So talk a little about where we've just been. Just been inside St Aloysius Catholic Church in Garnet Hill in Glasgow and Rose Street, which is a really beautiful temple and just got a, a lovely, peaceful atmosphere just next to the hubbub of the city centre. It's quite significant in the book. I don't actually name it and I do change a couple of wee uh, aspects to it, but generally it's the same location um, and the Leo goes to Mass there and he actually has his first main vision there. It's, it's quite significant for the, the, the development of the plot in the book. And now here he is seamlessly dropping into the history, not only of the building, but its architect. Just to say a wee bit about the church, it was opened in 1910 and it was a Belgian guy, Charles John Menard, who was the architect. He studied just further up the road, further up Hill Street here, um, at Glasgow School of Art and he did mostly did work for the Archdiocese of Glasgow and finally the uh, site of one of my favourite scenes in the novel the city halls kind of overall I think kind of this is a part of Charlie the aesthete but it's also present uh, in Leo it makes them both more interesting people I think um, and standing outside the city halls in Glasgow on candle rigs I think um, which is a really beautiful honey sandstone building. Um, it was built in 1841. The architect was one George Murray. And it was... Uh, it got famous quite quickly, actually. A lot of famous composers and violinists and performers performed here. And some other uh, high hygienes such as Benjamin Disraeli, Gladstone and even Charles Dickens attended concerts here. And in fact, in The Ghost of Helen Addison, I've given the ghost of Charles Dickens a little cameo. Leo sees him sitting in the edge of the lounge having a drink. There's a dramatic scene in The Ghost of Helen Addison that takes place just across the road from where we're standing at the moment. Um, when he... Leo bursts out the front doors looking for the killer who has followed him here and later we find that the killer wanted to murder him on the steps of the Grand Hall there aren't actually any steps outside I actually made that little bit up, added that in but I wanted it to be something of along the lines of the Godfather Part 3 the final or the climactic scene in that when Michael Corleone's daughter is accidentally or inadvertently shot to death pretty poor film but it had a bit of melodrama in it that I thought I would pilfer 
This is a place he will attend frequently. Uh, indeed, he, he's probably going to come back here in the second book. Um, that's if it survives the editorial cut. Um, I've got an idea for a, a scene that's kind of, a, in a way, a replica of the scene in The Ghost of Helen Addison that takes place here. But instead of the killer that he sees, it's his long-lost love. So he has a different reason to flee the premises. I won't say any more than that. But this is the kind of place you would find Leo in of a Friday or Saturday evening, propping up the bar, making his order for half-time drinks, and listening to the wonderful BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra or the uh, Scottish Chamber Orchestra, both of whom, I believe, have their home here. And it's a place I've enjoyed many an excellent concert. Until either a, a murderer or a former girlfriend shows up. Indeed, it just tends to spoil it. And that is the Glasgow of Leo Moran. But you know, that's not where Charlie's novel really comes alive. Next time, on debut, we're going to take the Hogwarts Express, really, to discover the true identity of the beautiful, eerie, fictional location of Loch Don that Charlie uses in The Ghost of Helen Addison. Somewhere down this track is the ancient Pemberton caravan in which Lex Dreghorn lives. He's quite an unsavoury character and there is some cloud of suspicion over him uh, as being responsible for murder. Debut is produced by me, Neil White, with help from Martin Gregg. Excerpts from The Ghost of Alan Addison are read by Bill Wright. Music by Michael McGarry. There's more about the podcast at debutpodcast.com and you can let me know what you think on Twitter at debutpodcast. As ever, thanks to Charlie McGarry for letting us join him on this ride. Follow him on Twitter at Charles E. McGarry and keep up with his writing at charlesemcgarry.com. His debut crime novel, The Ghost of Helen Addison, is published on July 6th. He'll be doing guided tours of Leo's Glasgow shortly afterwards. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.